Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-fiving friends. I'm so excited you're here and as always have an amazing guest to chat with you today. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Gina Simmons-Schneider. She is the author of Frazzle Brain, Break Free from Anxiety, Anger, and Stress Using Advanced Discoveries in Neuropsychology. She is a licensed psychotherapist, executive coach, and corporate trainer. She serves as a co-director of Schneider Counseling and Corporate Solutions. And Dr. Schneider is a coping skill expert with more than 25 years of experience helping people regulate difficult emotions and conflicts. Dr. Schneider is certified in neuroscience for clinicians through PESI and critical incident stress debriefing through National Trauma Services. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. So I always start with just having you tell us how you got to doing what you're doing today. Well, it was a a kind of a rambling journey. I started out wanting to be a singer-songwriter as a young teen and uh, found myself uh, living in poverty and stuff uh, as an emancipated teenager. Um, So from there, I ended up uh, working in a, 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 actually on a hotline, a suicide prevention hotline, um, because I was sort of in despair, uh, realizing I didn't want to be working as a uh, singer-songwriter in a nightclub with um, stalkers. I had Mm. some strange stalker situations going on and um, it was not fun like I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of in despair and I took a walk and I I saw this flyer on the wall that said, uh, volunteer counselors needed for a suicide hotline, no experience necessary, will train. So I took the number, needed a paying job, but took Mm -hmm. the number and I thought I could volunteer. And from there, I just had an amazing experience helping people, uh, helping people choose life instead of death. And uh, we had a food bank and we helped people who were struggling financially and uh, even rescued a woman from her homicidal husband. So Mm. we did a lot of really good work. And from there, I decided I wanted to become a therapist. And uh, so I went to college. And some of my early work was uh, working with juvenile uh, delinquents Mm -hmm. and uh, in juvenile diversion programs where uh, I worked with incarcerated youth and also uh, first-time offenders and their families and did a lot of family therapy, mm-hmm. uh, family reunification therapy with kids that had been taken out of their homes and uh, both in residential treatment and in outpatient treatment mm-hmm. uh, and also within the um, youth prison system. So I, I had a lot of variety of experience there. And uh, then from there, we ended up working with, uh, we did some, there was, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of workplace shootings that were taking place. Mm. And uh, there was a need for therapists to try to help people cope and get back to work and be able to function after a workplace shooting. And so I worked in a lot of those debriefings for a while. And then we decided we were really tired of going there after 
the fact. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do a lot more prevention work. And so we developed our consulting practice where we work on conflict resolution strategies in the workplace. So we we work both with uh, couples, individuals, uh, executives. Uh, we do trainings where we go into workplaces and teach people how to cope with difficult people, difficult situations more effectively so it doesn't explode into these sort of tragedies that we read about. Amazing. Wow, you have a very impressive background. And oof, some of that work, man, working with kids in general is a challenge. And um adding the family dynamics and reintegration back into not only society, but also the family is um is a challenge. So my heart goes out to that. Um but one thing that you kind of touched on and, and that was in your bio as well is this idea of coping skills. And we were talking just briefly and I said, you know, as counselors, that language of coping skills is what we talk about constantly. But to somebody that doesn't necessarily have this background and in our society, I feel like, well, let me let me rewind. I feel like in our society, we operate under these kind of badges of honor of like, I'm so overstressed or I'm anxious or I'm busy and kind of these, these lovely words, but we don't really know how to manage them or move through them. So when we start to talk about coping skills, where do we even start when we're talking about stress, anxiety, and being overwhelmed? Great question. And I love the way you framed that too, because it has become, especially in American culture, mm-hmm. we have this real competitive sort of, um, you know, tough it out, don't it, uh, you know, go, go to the mat every day, uh, never admit that you're stressed out or that you might need a break. Um or or you you worried a lot of people are worried about losing their jobs. I mm-hmm. work with a lot of people who are in jobs where they're allowed unlimited time off mm-hmm. and they don't take any mm. because the culture is such that if they take time off, uh, they're seen as a low performer or mm-hmm. someone who is easy to let go of in the next big layoff thing. So. So it is really part of our culture to just ignore how we feel and keep on going, shake it off, right? Mm-hmm. Keep on going. Mm-hmm. And um, and that isn't sustainable for a healthy lifestyle. And so uh, a lot of what my book is about is about taking responsibility for our own mental and physical health and noticing those pain points of feeling stressed out. Or maybe you find yourself overreacting to uh, your child's misbehavior or overreacting to uh, a slight, an interpersonal slight. Um, and you you know you're overreacting, you know your reactions are are outside of the norm. Um, and and so what I l- try to help people with is to think differently about their emotions. Their emotions are like signals telling us something and when we get the message the proper message we don't need the signal anymore so it's like when i was walking on the beach the other day barefoot uh, i got this thorn in my foot that hurt really badly mm-hmm. and the message to my brain was stop walking on this thorn 
mm-hmm. sit down, I take the thing out of my foot, I rub rub the pain out, I feel better. And then I put my flip-flops on. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> going to re-injure my foot while I'm walking on the beach. So so what was the signal, right? The physical pain signal is stop, pay attention, you're injuring yourself. There's something wrong. Attend to that. Mm-hmm. Right. And emotional pain is the same way, whether the pain point is anxiety, stress, anger, you know, irritability, whatever. It's it's also a range of pain, right? It can be the devastating pain of grief and losing a loved one or um, the minor pain of, of a disappointment because you didn't get the raise you thought you were going to get or whatever. Um, so, so recognizing the range of these things too, that they don't require an equal reaction to, you know, or an equal uh, reactivity is helpful. So, so if we're thinking about pain as a welcome signal, whether it's emotional or physical, because it's alerting us to something we must pay attention to for our optimal well-being, Mm. then we're not going to tense up against that and go, oh, you know, there's something wrong with me that I'm feeling this bad feeling. Um, Let me drink more coffee. Let me, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) drink more wine. Uh, You know, let me imagine how I'm feeling. Uh, Take some more Advil. You know, and that's how a lot of people are approaching it. Drugs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, masking it, masking how they feel. If I'm tired, well, let me get, get some caffeine to ramp myself up. Instead of I'm tired, maybe I need to sit down and meditate for a few minutes and rest. Or um, maybe I need to get to bed earlier tonight. Um, so, so listening and getting the right message from the feeling, right? If I'm anxious... Maybe there is something that I'm worried about in the future. And so taking a moment to really examine what that feeling is trying to show me. Mm. So maybe I'm feeling conflict about a decision. And so maybe I need to take some time, ask an expert for advice on what I should do about my tax situation. Mm. If I'm anxious (laughs) about my taxes or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's something I can do to attend to that pain point. And pay attention to the message it's trying to send me. Mm. Then I can soften my reaction to it. Then it's a, then I can kind of see it as, as as a helper in my life rather than a harm. Um, so the best way to cope is to pay attention and ask yourself, what do I need to do to help myself feel better in this moment? Mm. Uh, one of the ways that that people really get overwhelmed is feeling like that movie title that you have to do everything everywhere all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 I say, just how about this moment? You know, there's a thorn in your foot. It's just a moment. You know, uh, this moment of anxiety before you go uh, to to do a presentation at work. How can you prepare for that presentation emotionally? Take some deep breaths, maybe. So part of teaching coping skills is teaching you to welcome the signals from your body and your brain and pay attention to them. And then you can do some uh, self-calming strategies like breath work and some of the things that I'm sure you teach people and 
And there's a, a lot of tools out there that you can pull out of your toolbox if you're attending to the mm-hmm. feeling and not trying to stuff it or mask it or shame yourself for having it. I see a lot of people shaming themselves like, I must be weak. There must be something wrong with me. Mm. Yeah. Oh. I'm going crazy, you know. Right. And, and no, you're not going crazy. You're feeling things. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love kind of how you put that because I think you hit on such important pieces of the coping process. And it is that curiosity of what is this actual, like, what am I experiencing and how do I start to label that emotion so that I even know how to move forward? I think that's such a big piece we jump over and we start to just be like, oh, okay, I'm noticing I'm, you know, I'm anxious, I need to breathe or, or we're just negating it, like you said, and going to, I'm a substance abuse counselor, um, more specifically. So going to substances, right. Um, it's, really interesting too. I loved that it's not something that you're necessarily adding, right? Because I think that's the other piece when we talk about people coming to counseling or um, adding in self-care, right? It's We start to feel like we're adding all these things on top of our over-demanding schedules already. And, you know, I have so many clients um, come and they'll be like, I've been to other counselors and you know, I know that I need to add this, you know, self-care and I need to do an hour a day or put it in my morning routine, but I just can't. So I love that yours is really, you're already in that moment. You're just getting curious. And then you're attending to that feeling rather than having to add an hour of self-care a day, because that's not actual true coping, right? Cause then you're not in the moment. So I think that those two pieces alone are such huge differences in how we are reacting and responding today to the stressors we have. Well, and I love the way you you framed that too, is, is it is about a gentle curiosity in the moment rather than feeling like, oh gosh, now I have to do an extreme life makeover so mm-hmm. that I can do all the things I need to do to regulate my emotions because I must be doing something wrong if I'm having an unregulated emotion. I'm having emotions that feel bad and make me mm-hmm. feel disrupted inside, you know? So there must be something wrong with me instead of, no, this is a part of life and on the fly I can cope with it and manage it without having to do this extreme life makeover. There was this joke video that was out there about, you know, all the things that one needs to do to you know be optimally healthy and you know Mm. the person is like making taking an hour to make this you know elaborate fruits and vegetable breakfast and Mm -hmm. then they're meditating and doing an hour and a half of yoga and then they're doing you know walking in the woods and meanwhile you know eight hours go by and Mm -hmm. nobody's been to work yet Mm -hmm. and and of course that is that is silly and that's not the way we live our lives and that doesn't mean that we can't take that moment that little one minute snack break to pay attention to our to our mood, our feelings, and what they're telling us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what are some surprising ways that you have identified to manage stress? One of the most interesting and exciting things that I've learned is that our emotions are constructed by us. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of emotions as coming over us mm. um, and, uh, you know, and coming and, and as a, and they're coming as a result of 
what we're actually experiencing with our senses. So our boss yelled at us. So of course, we're going to be really upset. Mm. And so it's the boss yelling at us, the stimulus that makes us really upset. When actually only about 10% of what what we experience as emotion is coming from our actual experience. The other 90%, we know this from neuroscience research into emotions. The other 90% of our emotions are constructed by our memories and our predictions. Mm -hmm. So we're going into our memory bank. The last time somebody yelled at me, oh, my mother yelled at me or, you know, my teacher humiliated me in the third grade or um, you know, all the times somebody in authority yelled at us and I feel, you know, helpless and weak and angry and defenseless and, you know, and, and so we're going through the, the file drawer in our brain of all of the times that, some, you know, and, and how we felt then, you know, as a third grader mm-hmm. and maybe we're 45 now and we're not in the third grade and we have our voice and we can do some other things about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that adds to the pile of uh, reactivity that's building up inside of our brain as we construct a prediction. I'm not going to be able to cope with this boss. I'm going to have to leave this job. I can't find another job that pays this well. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? And so then we're piling on these predictions of the future. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that the words we're using to describe something seed the concept and already tell us what we're supposed to feel hmm. right so if, if we're telling ourselves you know boss is a rageaholic you know he's impossible the word whatever the words are that we're using the swear words whatever they're seeding the concept that therefore this is this is an enormous situation that's really impossible to deal with the concept then Okay, the concept then seeds our prediction. Well, now I can't work for this person. Uh, or now I'm going to get a bad evaluation. Or now something really terrible is going to happen to me in my future. It's going to affect you know, my mortgage, everything, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we just really start going off in the predictions. The predictions are often based on our energy level and our and what we believe we can mm-hmm. cope with or our body battery mm-hmm. you know how much energy do i have to cope with this how capable do i feel of getting a new job if i really feel like i have to get a new job right and so all of that is really what's created our emotion our anxiety it's not the fact that the boss yelled at us mm-hmm. we could reframe the boss yelling at us as yeah there he goes again you know Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here we go. What do I do now? All right. Take some deep breaths. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I I had one client I was coaching. You know, she loved to cook, and and she had a, a one of these raging bosses. And um, so we had a strategy uh where she would think about recipes and that would entertain her. And I, and if he if he yelled at her, she'd go, Okay, here he goes again. I'm gonna go. Go back to my computer and look up a good recipe and we're going to eat good tonight, you know. So she found a way to entertain herself and react to it and respond to it in such a way that her nervous system wasn't disrupted at all Mm. because she classified it as his problem, not hers. Mm -hmm. She reframed it. She changed the concepts 
and the words she was using to describe the behavior and didn't go back into childhood, you know, embarrassing moments of being yelled at by people in authority. So so there the the most exciting thing that I'm working on now is what are the words I'm using to describe how I'm feeling? And are they because they're just made up mm-hmm. by me. And what what we find is that the more granular and more specific you can make your emotion, like I'm irritable or I'm I'm a little irritated now about this specific thing. Um, you you're going to feel differently than you than you if you just say to yourself, "That's bad. That's really bad. That's a really bad thing." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really bad because I, you know, I have to do a podcast and I I need to be on for this podcast, and so you know, this really bad thing is going to throw off the whole rest of my day. You know, so mm-hmm. so now we've piled it on and piled it on and piled it on. So the more the more vocabulary we have, the better our emotional vocabulary, the better our, um, the more specific we can be about the specific things that we need to attend to, mm-hmm. the the more effective we're going to be at coping. And mm-hmm. I, I found that a lot of times people can be black and white, good, bad, safe, mm-hmm. not safe. And I say, well, no, are you really unsafe right now? Or does somebody really holding a gun to your head right now? And you're you're not in you're in danger. Are you really in danger? Well, no. Okay. So you're not unsafe, right? No. Okay. So what what is really going on here? I'm feeling a little insecure about my ability to work for somebody that treats me this way. Mm. Okay. That's something we can work with, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel now thinking about the word insecure as opposed to unsafe? Mm. Right. So the words we're using to describe how we're feeling in our own head, and then th- also how the words we're using to describe our, our own ability to cope. So if we can say to ourselves, I don't know exactly how to respond to this, but I know I can learn how to cope with it. I can find a solution to this, mm-hmm. even if I don't know it right now. If we can say those kind of things to ourselves, What's that doing to our body battery? It's giving, it's telling us we, we don't have to expend everything right now. We're not, we're not at the end of our rope. Mm-hmm. We're going to be okay. So yeah. pay attention to the internal dialogue and change it because you're making it up. Mm-hmm. You are making up how you feel all the time. Mm-hmm. So what creative power that is to make up great feelings too, right? And they're not, they don't have to be dependent on all the lights being green when we're driving down, driving down the street. You know, we don't need every door to be open for us in order to structure happier feelings inside of our own head. Hmm. I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to empower like our listeners that are, you know, they do have the ability to create their emotions and and I'm just, you know, I was sitting here thinking about kind of the language um, for emotions and how, I'm going to use the word stunted, our society is with that. Because, you know, it may, I had a client the other day and and they bring three emotions to session every single time. I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm anxious. 
And so I asked them, I was like, let's, you know, elaborate on that. Let's look at this. And we brought up the feeling wheel and they were like, okay, I'm actually, you know, feeling this. And, and so I gave them some homework and it was to go identify five different synonyms for those words. And it was just kind of, as you're talking about this, it's the same idea, right? Like we can't, we don't really, it's, it's really hard to figure out how to move forward and process a feeling when it's not even really what we're feeling, because if you're just saying you're overwhelmed, stressed, or anxious all the time, that is all you're, you're feeling, right? Like there's no, so it's just kind of, as you were thinking about that, I was like, yep, I just had this conversation and it is really powerful to be able to get down to, okay, I feel, um, you know, insecure, like you said, how do I, what does that feel like in my body? How do I move forward with feeling insecure? What can I do to cope with that? So I love that you break it down in such a beautiful way. And I think it's really interesting to look at you know, neuroscience and, and the neuropsychology around like how we have the ability to rewire our brain and neuroplasticity and all these things. And it brings me kind of this wider question of how can neuropsychology tools help improve our health kind of fitness and longevity as well? That is really the most exciting stuff I'm into now. And it's going to be the subject of my next book too. Um, I'm very excited about the research and there's so much out there, but the power of our mind is so underestimated. And that's why the power of the language, like that intervention that you did with your client is spot on. You know, this finding new words and new language to describe what you're feeling because you're making up that feeling anyway. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's this truth about how we feel and it's this, and there's some God up in the sky that says, that's exactly the right thing you're feeling. No, it's like clouds, you know, taking shape mm -hmm. and they're moving and they're responding to all different kinds of things that are going on internally and externally. So what's interesting about the power of our mind is our mind is capable of changing with a thought how our hormones respond, mm. how our gut responds, how our nervous system responds how our immune system responds. And there's all these studies showing that our beliefs um, are can completely change uh, how our body responds to events. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to challenge their beliefs because I, I get people fixed on this idea that this person's out to get me at work, you know, and um, so they're, you know, viewing this person as an enemy and they're, you know, and uh, maybe they are. Maybe they really are trying to get you. Okay, let's look at the evidence, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it, how is that belief serving you, you know? And 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 is there another way you could look at it? Mm -hmm. Maybe this person feels threatened by you, or maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. So, um, so you loosen up the attachment to whatever it is that's making you feel that. And one, one of the interesting studies that came out in like 2008, um, that just to prove my point here about what the neuroscience is showing is that uh, there was a study um the milkshake study in 2008 by Aliyah Crum at Stanford University. And what they did is they had the same group of people come to a laboratory two different times and their task was to um, drink a milkshake and evaluate the, the milkshake. Uh, on both occasions, though, they were given the exact same milkshake, but it had a fake label on it. Hmm. The milkshake had about 350 calories. But on one uh, occasion, they, it had a label on it that said 
Um, it was, and they were told that it was a sensible shake of 140 calories and it had a fake nutrition label on it. The second time they came to the study, they were given the exact same 350 calorie milkshake, but they were told instead, this is an indulgent milkshake of 640 calories. And these were all the ingredients and so forth. And they were given physiological measures before and after each occasion where they came in and drank um, the milkshake. So one of the measures they uh, looked at was the hormone ghrelin, which ghrelin is a hormone that goes up and down when we're hungry and not and when we've eaten. So it, when it goes up, we feel hungry. When it After we eat a, a full meal, it drops down. And they found that the hormone levels Instead of matching the actual calories they consumed, the hormone levels matched their beliefs about how many calories they consumed. Wow. So if they measure if they ate 140 calories, like this equivalent of a snack, like a piece of cheese or something, and a cracker, you know, um, you wouldn't feel all that full. And mm -hmm. so your your ghrelin levels would stay sort of level. And when they thought they had the 650 calorie thing, it dropped precipitously mm -hmm. as if they'd eaten a, a full meal. So what's really interesting about that is your beliefs about what you're doing. And that, that, affect, that affects dieting too. If you think you're depriving yourself, you're going to be hungry all the time. If you think you've had this wonderful, indulgent vegetable lunch, you know, your, your ghrelin levels are going to follow that. So there's a number of of, of um, studies. That's just one, but a number of studies of how the power of our mind, what we believe, what we think, our thoughts, influences, and our body follows. Mm -hmm. Our body follows what we're thinking. So we want to always be aiming our attention in the direction that we want our body to go. Mm. You know, it makes it makes me think, and, and I will preface this by saying I am not a doctor, so if this is not accurate, but this is what was relayed to me. Um, I have physical allergies to tree nuts, and uh, I got tested when I was a kid years ago. I got retested a couple months ago. Um, same thing. I was anaphylactic. I've had anaphylactic reactions, and mm -hmm. I went in, oh. and I, I had the test, and I... Um, had done acupuncture and a specific treatment called NAET, which um, is a little bit more kind of like the Eastern and Western together and things. But anyways, I was talking to the um, the allergist and I was asking, you know, is there a way to see if I'm anaphylactic or not? Is there like a range or value like there used to be? And he was explaining very similar this idea to me that now they've brought this idea into the equation that one day I could eat an almond and be anaphylactic. And the next day I could eat an almond and not have a reaction. And I was like, how does that even make sense with a physical allergy? And he said exactly what you were talking about. He said, because now we've taken into account if you're stressed, if your your hormone, your cortisol level is higher, if you're overtired, if you're, you know, all these different aspects, we've taken it into it. And he said the same thing. He said, if you think that you're going to have an anaphylactic reaction, you're more likely to have an anaphylactic reaction. And to me, it's just, I was like blown away, but it's so incredible to see, like you're saying, like these research, you know, studies backing up exactly what 
we're talking about of your body really is following. It's just powerful. And I was like, I just had that interaction, you know, a couple months ago. (laughs) And that's fascinating too, right? Because we think about that with eyesight too, you know, I'm nearsighted, right? And we think about, we go to the eye chart, you know, we get our eye. Well, what they found is that things like eyesight are also um, subject to expectancy effects. What we expect to have happen we will will happen. And so what they did was they flipped the eye chart. So the little print is on the top and the big stuff's on the bottom. And they found that people could read a finer print when they flip the eye chart. That when we have it flipped the other way, we expect to fail, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're already expecting to fail. And they did the same thing with, um, with hearing, um, that when people, when they, they, turn things down really, really low, people could hear more when they when they had a reason to hear more. And mm-hmm. they put people in these different laboratory conditions where they have a good reason to listen. And um and 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 so we think of our hearing as sort of the static thing. I have this score, this hearing score or whatever. No, it 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 even our hearing is subject to our own expectancy effects. Mm. And so um, and and they even did this study on um, allergies, peanut allergies. Kids who were in this um, study for um, they were getting a medication to um, you know help um, build up their immune system response, so they didn't go into shock. And they divided them into two groups, and one group was told that if you get non-dangerous side effects, um, that means the medication's really working. Mm. And the other group was just told, uh, you might get some um, non-dangerous side effects from the medication. The group that was told that means the medicine's working, they had a better response to the medication. Mm -hmm. I believe it. So our expectancy about how medications are going to affect us has a huge effect on our healing. So I've even gotten in the habit of, you know, if I'm taking a couple of ibuprofen, I'm just saying, thank you for healing my headache, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much. I, I'm really appreciative of your of your work here in my body. Um, so that welcoming our healing is a, is a very important thing uh, to attune to in, with our mind because we really have an impact on how, you know, just like the doctor said to you, it's not this fixed thing that we think it is mm-hmm. it's very complex but we can we can boost our healing along too by visualizing healing yeah it's you know it's really bringing these concepts that have been around a lot more kind of in the eastern culture rather than western culture but it's bringing them together and really seeing you know we as humans are so complex and are really immensely powerful and i think that in our conversation, you have highlighted that beautifully. Um, and I know we're getting tight on time. So I just wanted to thank you and say, I truly enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I could continue talking to you forever and, uh, have so many more questions for you, but, um, and thank you to all our guests. I know that your time is valuable. I appreciate you spending it with here. I am going to put all of Dr. Um, Gina's information as well as her book information in the episode notes. So be make sure you go check that out. And again, Dr. Gina, thank you so much for your time today.
Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Caitlin. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.